good to see you, and hasn't it been a great day today? Yeah. The sun has shone, and uh, we've had a great week. So, I'm going to read, uh, we're looking at John 4 today, so if you've got your Bible, you might want to join with me, and uh, we're starting at verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4. Now, he had, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob, hang up, Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming that is now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Amen. Shall we pray? Father God, as we come to reflect on your words, I pray that you would, by your spirit, open our hearts to hear what it is you have to say to us this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love this Bible passage. It's like a Christmas dinner for me. Uh, you know, not only delicious, but as you sit looking at your Christmas table with all the food on it, you look at the feast and you know that every serving dish in the cupboard has been used for your Christmas dinner. And it's got 101 different vegetables in it that have been mashed, boiled, roasted, stuck in there with bacon nuts. Delicious, delicious food. 
and then you get that process of having to fit it all onto your plate before trying to eat it. That is John chapter 4. It's a great passage. We see Jesus again on a journey. He was in Judea and now he's on his way to Galilee. That's my family for Christmas dinner. Uh, journeys can be a real adventure though, can't they? I'm not somebody who enjoys the actual travel bits, but I've uh, had the privilege of going to some beautiful places. And I found that when you get to places you've never been before, and you go to a culture that you don't know, you're thrown into the unknown and things start to happen. Uh, I want to show you, I was inspired by Laura's travel pictures, and uh, I thought I'd show you something that happened to me uh, when I was travelling. Uh, my husband had said, do you want to come to the Grand Prix with me in August at Spa? I said, no, thank you. Uh, uh, it, was my, it was his dream to go to the Grand Prix. It's my dream uh, to go to New York. I'd never been. And I thought, I can take a friend. I don't need to go with him. Uh, so I'll just set the scene for you. We, are, as you do when you go to New York, we go to Central Park. And uh, the street performers there are amazing. And we were waiting for them to start. And I don't know how this happened, but I found myself on my own, surrounded by people, in the middle of a group, with a street performer just behind me. And this video has not been shown in public, so it's just between you and I. Okay. Uh, the dirt dancing music is playing now. I know you can't hear it. I've never met this guy before in my life. <coughs> to be as quickly as I can. 
Well, according to Samaritans, their ancestry is that they belong to the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. And Jewish orthodoxy has to take you back to King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, when he conquered the Middle East. And of course, his tactic was to move large populations of people from the land he had conquered and take them to his land. And then he would bring his own people back to the land that he had conquered. Now, of course, when he did that, the Jews who happened to be there married those people who came in. And from that time on, they were seen as not being real Jews. The bloodline had been muddied. So the Bruno exiled Jews came back to the land 70 years later for Jerusalem. Uh, they looked at these people and said, you're not one of us. We hate you. You're not true Jews. And they didn't want to meet with them to make themselves unclean. The Samaritans had the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, but they had nothing else. And they said that God lived in Mount Gerizim that they had built, in the temple that they had built there. Of course, the Jews said, God does not live in your temple. He lives in our temple in Jerusalem. And you can see how that feud between the Jews and the Samaritans went. So Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And tired from his journey, he decided to stop at Jacob's well. And it's here that he meets the Samaritan woman. And we're told that it's noon. It's the hottest part of the day. It's the time of the day when you don't go out. You stay inside. So we know that this woman came to the well at this time because she knew that nobody else was going to be there. She was despised by the Jews because she was a Samaritan. She was despised by the Samaritans because of her way of life. She was a woman who was all alone. And the woman, you don't even get to find out her name, arrives at the well to draw water and Jesus asks her for a drink. Shall we follow it if you put it in your Bibles at verse 9? She says to Jesus, How can you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? If we read it from the message translation, there are brackets after that verse that says, Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Uh, I don't know if you remember what Matt said last week. He said, do you love enough to poison reason? Jesus loved people so much. He saw people and he loved them just as they were. And at that point, Jesus launches into a conversation that becomes wrapped around theology, the ancestry of the Samaritan people, and what's even better is he talks about the promise, the new promise of God that's to come. So let's uh, follow the conversation with me at verse 10 we've got here. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is here hinting 
the amazing promise he has for people. God's generosity is not just abundant, so it just keeps going and keeps going, but it's free. And he says, if only you knew. And that's what we say about our friends and family, isn't it, who we're praying for and don't yet know Jesus. If only they knew who Jesus was. If only they experienced the love that God has for them. If only they were able to understand. Verse 11, she says, So you have nothing to draw with and the raised deep. Where can you get the same water? This woman is still in the practical. I've got water, you haven't got a bucket, so what's that all in hands? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? This is the woman. Hang on a minute. Is she questioning her ancestry? Is she challenging this Jew to where she belongs? I think she's been a bit cheeky, controversial even, provocative. This woman knows her history. She knows her theology. She's an intelligent woman. So let's not judge her by her lifestyle and who she is. Verses 13 and 14. Jesus keeps going with this idea of drinking living water. Whoever drinks this will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. He's expanding on that promise and that theme of living in water. And of course the woman says, do you know what? I want that. I want that so that I don't have to come here every single day to be despised, to be on my own. And then Jesus speaks truth into her life. He knows who she is. Come get me your husband. I don't have a husband. Again, Jesus speaks words of truth. You're absolutely right. You have five husbands, and this man is not your husband. And then the woman talks theology to Jesus. Can you imagine it? Having Jesus sat in front of you, and you want to talk to him about theology, where God is. Verses uh, 19 and 20. I can see you are a prophet. And she goes into that. Well, we worship you here, we worship you there, and uh, we're not going to get onto that. And Jesus at verse 21 challenges the idea of where God is. He's not there, he's not there. He's not here. He's spirit. You cannot contain God. No matter how much we try to do that, we can't do that. And at verse 23 and 24, Jesus unlocks the truth and takes it to a different level, saying that worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth, concluding with, Jazz hands. <laughs> I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. And he chooses to reveal this 
to a Samaritan woman. Amazing. Absolutely. Makes me feel all kind of goosebumps. That is amazing. And this conversation reminds me of a, a saying that Jesus said further on in John's Gospel, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's absolutely mind-blowing. So verse 26, we read that the woman leaves everything and rushes into town to tell everybody about what's gone on here. All her disgrace is gone. And her need to tell people about Jesus is greater than her need to hide away. Fantastic. I want us to take a look at verses 23 and 24 together. Let's focus on that. And I'm going to read it from the message translation. It's who you are and the way you live that counts before God. I'm going to read that again, but I'm going to highlight and emphasise some words. Okay? It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Do you know what? We spend a huge, huge amount of time in our life trying to be something or somebody that we are not. I've seen this person, they look amazing, I want to look like that. I've heard this person talk and I want to be just like that. You know, young people today are bombarded by pictures of perfect people living perfect lives. Can I tell you that it's not true? It's all a complete lie. Uh, and young people can be tormented by some of the most horrible things that are said on social media that gives them such huge pressures in their life. I'm not saying that social media is all bad, it's not. It can be used for good, but there is a big pressure. Uh, one of my RE lessons, I started by asking the young people, how many, big, how many selfies do you take in one day? I don't know how many you would think young people take in a day. Do you take a lot? No. <laughs> how many selfies? No, I won't pick them up. I won't pick them up. Don't worry. Don't worry. The first thing they said was, well, do you need Instagram? Do you need Snapchat? TikTok? I said, don't worry. Really well. I want to lead worship like you do. 
that person preaches really well. I want to preach the way that they preach. You know, that person seems to have their Christian life sorted. I want to be like that person. Do you know what a relief it is when Jesus says to the woman, I know the man you're living with is not your husband. I know about your life. Jesus says to us, I know who you are, and what's more, I think you're amazing, and I love you. It's not necessarily a bad thing to admire the gift someone else has, or to learn from someone else. But our starting point should always be, I am the person God created me to be. He loves me, he's given me gifts, he has a plan for me, he wants me to come to him. So that we can talk, hug, laugh, cry together like a perfect father would. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. And the first that Jesus is talking about is a longing for God's presence. There are a lot of people who go to church hoping that through the worship, their thirst is satisfied. And it can be. But worship requires an engagement of our whole selves. You know, I don't just want it on a Sunday afternoon and evening. I want that life on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I want, as great as this church service is, I need that and I want it all the time. I don't want to let it go as I leave this place. You know, our journey with Jesus can be unpredictable. Be ready for the unexpected. However, the starting place, the place we always need to get back to, is our relationship with him. Taking hold of the promise that he's given us an everlasting life. Life now as well. All the days of the week with the power of God's spirit living inside us. How does that happen? How does his spirit engage with our spirits? Let's uh, read verse 14. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring, gushing fountains of endless life. That's quite a picture, isn't it? But the rubber glazes is an artesian spring. Uh, if you're a geographer, I'm sure you know. It's water that wells up out of the rock uh, as though it's doing it all by itself. It seems to defy gravity, but it's always going, it's always there and springing. Naturally, supernatural. In the story today of the woman at the world, Jesus begins naturally by asking for a drink, perfectly ordinary. He's thirsty from his travelling. And he turns that natural desire for water into something supernatural. 
But I remember my youth workers, and that's why the people are so, and doing youth work is so important. I could see something in my youth workers that I didn't have. And I said to them, what is it that you've got that I don't have? And they talked about God's Holy Spirit. They prayed with me. And our Tithian spring blessings <laughs> started to come up. It was great. It was great. Whether we feel it or not, it's about being confident that in knowing the pursuit of truth. God moved from dwelling among his people in the garden, the Garden of Eden, to dwelling and moving into the temple or tabernacle, to his presence moving in the body of Jesus, incarnate here on earth. To moving in us. How great is that? How great is that? We are called the temple of the Holy Spirit in Corinthians. That's how we describe it. John 7 says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The spring is the source of our life, which then flows out of us into the world. Not only changing us from the inside out, but being able to change a hurting world. How do we do that? Do you know what? It's as simple as asking, confessing. The woman said, I don't have. The man I'm with is not my husband, she confessed. We need to confess, to repent, and ask God to fill us, and to continually fill us. So I guess my question is, do we have that spring inside of us? Do we have that Holy Spirit power that we see his life pouring out from us? Or is that something that we want more of? God gives and gives and gives. There's always more. Which is why I love being on this journey with Jesus. Because I want more and more. There's always more. In Luke it says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Seek the Lord in Chronicles of His faith. Seek His presence continually. So go on asking every day for that filling of God's Spirit. I wonder if we can spend that time now. Asking for God's Spirit to fill us and to give us that power that He's promised. And uh, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know sometimes we need that extra, extra power of God's Spirit to give us the words. In those hopeless, desperate situations when we don't know what to do, God is carrying us and knows just what needs to happen. And it is the Spirit who is communing with our Spirit who will be able 
to mediate on our behalf, to be able to speak those words to God.